as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Exclusive interview with comedian, San Francisco Sketchfest co-founder Cole Stratton. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. So, what current projects are you up to this year, post-COVID? Uh, are we post-COVID? Uh, I like to think we are. Starting to be, at least. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, I'm just trying to you know stay busy. We obviously had to postpone our festival that was supposed to be this past January. We thought we were going to be able to do it, uh, but then the variant came that everybody in the world got pretty much, so we had to push till next January. So, uh, right. so we were working on that most of the year, and then all of a sudden that got waylaid. So, uh, other than that, like I, I I live in Los Angeles full time, so I uh, I do a lot of shows down here, and uh, things just kind of started reopening the theaters and things too. So I'm doing a lot of improv and sketch shows and things like that. Um, and then working on various other little projects here and there that just haven't come to fruition yet. But just, you know, kind of staying active as everything opens back up. Very neat. Very neat. Have you been tempted to revisit uh, some other podcasts or blogging or acting? Or is that just still just side stuff? Um, I mean, I am doing a little bit of acting here and there. I'm auditioning and stuff. And um, I've, you know, been getting a couple bits here and there. I, I was on the season premiere of this season's American um, crime story, the one about Clinton impeachment. I'm in the first episode, which just dropped on Hulu, so um, you can see me as a uh, kind of a shithead reporter um, (laughs) at the Paula Jones press conference. Um, So, yeah, things are starting to kind of go back to normal there, too, though they, uh, you know, it's still pretty much not in-person auditions. It's a lot of sending in self-tapes and stuff and occasionally doing, like, some callbacks over Zoom and stuff. But for the most part, it's just sending in tapes when you get the audition requests, which is, you know, kind of nice because I don't have to go anywhere versus trying to get across town, like, on a Friday at 5 or something. And um, So that's a lot nicer. Podcast-wise, like, I don't know. I'm, like, my my podcast, Pop My Culture, ended, right. um, you know, back in, ugh, I don't know, a while 2017. ago. 2017. <laughs> uh, which shouldn't be that long ago, but that was, like, five years. Um, but, you know, we ran, we, we ran that for seven years and stuff. So, and it was a lot of fun and I loved it, but, you know, it was a lot of work and, you know, we were, we had a guest every episode. So rounding up guests was always, you know, a thing, um, which fairly easy at times, but sometimes it was just like, oh gosh, we got to record in two days. We don't have anybody yet. What are we going to do? Um, so that was great and I loved it. And then I was kind of like, okay, cool. Now I can be on a, uh, you know, a break from it for a while. And, 
I've thought about getting back into it. I've had several ideas and things too, but just not enough to like light the fire under me as of yet. But um, I'm sure I will get back into it. It's just one of the things I love doing. It's just been nice to not have it for a little while. And then obviously like when I was starting to kind of get ready to get back into that arena, you know, the pandemic hit and then that mm-hmm. kind of waylaid that as well too. So now that things are starting to be creative again, I'm, you know, looking at ideas and stuff and trying to figure out what sings to me and, and go from there. Nice. Um, and giving, you know, building on that earlier point, um, since everyone's using zoom now, do you think, you'll just be able to assemble a lot of stuff a little more quicker as a result of doing this, not having to travel. Uh, yeah. I mean, zoom is definitely good for a lot of things. Um, it still isn't quite, you know, uh, uh, it's not the same as being in the room together. It's just not, no. it's, you know, it's, it's not bad and you can connect and stuff and stuff, but there's some kind of magic of, you know, back when we did pop my culture of having me and Vanessa and then whoever our guests or guests were in the same room together, riffing off of each other and there's no delay um it's you know just really nice to have that energy and you can't really get that over zoom it really affected like you know improv and stuff we did some you know virtual improv shows and stuff with our teams and this is just first starting out and people were into it for like a month and then they were like this isn't really fun (laughs) and people you know the viewerships kind of dropped off um because there's just really no substitute for something like that but for podcasts and things in general i mean you could do a lot of that via zoom and i don't think that will necessarily change um at least not for a while because it's a little easier to get people to do your stuff if they can just go into their office and click on a keypad instead of trying to you know meet you someplace at a certain time so right um, (laughs) i don't see that changing a ton um but you know who knows at some point this could all open back up again um i mean already now in la they're starting to lift a lot of restrictions and it sort of feels like the before days in a lot of ways when you go places and nobody's wearing a mask and stuff so uh we'll see where that heads um i feel like we're kind of in an endemic time where it's always going to kind of be around just you know depends on what variants we get and how you know tough they are to avoid and things like that too but i feel like we're kind of in a place now where it's going to be kind of this from now on totally adjustments are not easy do you have any other projects with uh, Janet Varney or Rift Tracks coming up soon? Yeah, sort of. Janet and I, um, you know, we do our whole Rift Tracks present stuff where we mostly do like 80s movies, occasional 90s movies. And we have one that we've been working on. It's just we got kind of, you know, obviously when Sketchfest got busy and then way late, we kind of had to drop it for now. But we're, we've been working on it. And um, at some point, <laughs> we'll finish it and get it recorded and out there. Uh, I can't say what the title is, but I will say it's right in our wheelhouse of what we're expected to be doing. So <laughs> it's another piece of 80s wonderfulness. I hear you. Okay. Do you ever get recognized still on the street for various commercials or even you know, TV appearances like you were on Nash Bridges twice and I grew up watching the Animal Planet movie, The Retrievers Blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. Actually, it was pretty fun because, you know, I got to work with Betty White and stuff. Um, Rest for, in peace. Yeah, that was pretty great. And she just would tell Golden Girl stories unsolicited. Um, it was pretty wonderful. Um, <laughs> evidently, uh, you know, Ru- uh, Estelle Getty wanted the set really hot, but B. Arthur wanted it really cold, so they're constantly fighting over the thermostat. Like every 45 minutes, a poor PA would have to go and change the temperature in the room. Sounds uh, like a party. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, that's the fun thing about things like that is, you know, you just get to work with great people and, you know, have fun, even if the project's kind of ridiculous. Um, I'd say I mostly get recognized for, um, my festival stuff because anybody who is in comedy and like, you know, sketch or improv or stand up and stuff kind of know, they know about the festival and they know about me for the most part. So I do get, you know, recognized from that, which is weird. Um, the DVDs sold pretty well. Uh, yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, but yeah, from the TV and stuff work, not so much. I did get recognized for my podcast from time to time too. There was a nice. We were in, at Disneyland actually in Anaheim at the uh, eating at a restaurant in downtown Disney, and the bartender there knew who I was, which was bizarre. Because um, you know, something a podcast, it, people don't necessarily know your face. So, um, <laughs> but he was a fan of the podcast, so that was fun. You think never uh, not funny and alchemy guest spots helped? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I think people. Alchemy has been fun because I've been basically the de facto sub host whenever Kevin's not there. Um, and then I guess sometimes as well. So I've done like 50 or 60 episodes of it, I think, at this point. Um, so I kind of feel like that's kind of been my way back into podcasting during all this. And obviously, I like to guest on stuff when I can. Never Not Funny was a lot of fun. So Don't got to worry about the engineering or editing. You just got to. Yeah, you just kind of show up and do whatever the thing is, and then uh, then it's their problem, so to speak. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of fun podcasts out there and stuff, and um, it would be fun to get back and start doing some more. So in addition to just the various plans and everything, you think Audible might be revisited again? I'm not sure. Audible's changed their business model like 74 times at this oh, point. Oh, dear. Um, so, well, it, it's like that they, first they wanted like short form kind of things that were like quick, you know, like 20 minute nugget stuff. And then they wanted like 10 hour things. Um, and I think that they just keep adapting to whatever they feel like is going to sell in the marketplace. Um, but you know, we had to predict our, this says. right, exactly. <laughs> we had our little run with, uh, the bat episodes that we did. They're pretty fun that we, you know, improv in the dark. Um, and then, you know, they, they were sponsors of the festival for a couple of years too. So that's kind of the, I came to them with the bat as an idea of just for a live show to do at the festival that they could be part of. And then they decided to develop it as a series um, with me and Janet and a bunch of guest improvisers. So that was really fun. Um, Sweet. Yeah. I don't really know what's next in terms of like, you know, things are just starting to wake up, so to speak. The bear's coming out of hibernation here <laughs> creatively. <laughs> now it's uh, trying to figure out what the thing is that's going to, you know, be the thing that I latch on to. But I've, I do find myself busy again with a lot of, you know, things on my plate, so to speak, and projects in development. Just nothing has really, like, gone to that next level yet where it's ready to go out to the world. But there there are things in the works. Very cool. Uh, who would, just backtracking a little slightly, uh, who would you describe as kind of your mentor in Ooh. the world of comedy? Like, was it Second City or was it Groundlings? Because you had a bunch of those who you worked with. Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, I was a kid of HBO, so I was really into movies and comedy and TV stuff, too. So um, I would say in terms of, like, my humor and comedy and stuff and wanting to go that direction, obviously my dad introduced me to a lot of you know, comedy films and directors and things early on, so I was always kind of funny. Um and, uh -oh. uh, and then I started doing improv really early. Like, I think I would, took a class in Sacramento um, called, like, Improv for Teens or whatever. 
And uh, it just like hooked me. Like I was like, oh, this is fun and I'm good at this. And then I just kind of became the improv guy, so to speak, and was the one who would like teach improv like games to our drama classes and stuff. And my high school had a, an improv team thing that went way back to like the 50s. So I was on that. And then I started one in college and just have been doing it ever since in some capacity. But in terms of actual like mentors, like my comedy heroes have always been like, Albert Brooks, who I love. I just find his stuff super funny. Um, the kids in the hall were huge for me, um, which was always like a goal for us when we founded the festival because we, we were all fans of them. And we actually were in a sketch team together called Totally False People, which we pulled as a, from a sentence in a uh, kids in the hall tour program. We had all gone to the 2000 tour and there was a thing in a bio that said like rumors that he was gay, totally false people led mark to blah 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 or something like that so we thought totally false people that's fun because we'd be putting on characters so we pulled that from that and then early on we got like bruce mccullough to come and do a solo show in like year four or five of the festival and then uh we got scott then to do his thing and then kevin came and did some stuff and then finally we just got them all and did like a big tribute to them and a live sketch show and they have always been a staple at the festival ever since, either as a group or individually based on what their schedules are like. So that was always surreal for me. Like there was definitely a night when we had all of them and we went to an after party and like their big suite and stuff or hanging out with them. And I was like, how did this happen? These guys are right. my heroes. And now <laughs> they're my friends. And um, that's, yeah, that's always what's the most surreal thing about the festival to me is, is just, it's got afforded me the chance to work with and, you know, book and hang out with a lot of my comedy heroes and acting heroes and celebrities and things too. Um, and we've gotten to see a lot of people, you know, come into the festival early when they're just starting out and then become superstars from there. So um, that's always been super cool, but I definitely, you know, kids in the hall for sketch, Mr. Show. I love Bob and David. Um, you know, Mel Brooks, Albert Brooks. You were in, were at one of your shows. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's it's always been super cool. I love all those guys. Yeah, I'm I'm building on that a bit. I, I I have noticed that also just like with interviewing people is like simply ask, and it seems like there's just many people is like they just nerd out. They they just want to creep everyone out or just be overbearing. And it's like no no would would you want would you be reacting to that if someone some stranger came up to you and just started hugging you or <laughs> just obsessing over <laughs> you? Just treat me like a real person. Yeah, I mean that's Why the is thing this is a foreign concept. <laughs> the the luster kind of wears off in a weird way. It's it's like the realize it's just their people. Once you start like I used to get starstruck pretty easily, but now I really don't because we've had so many amazing people of pretty big fame levels come in and do the festival. Um and then a lot of them have done my, you know, podcast or whatever else. Um, oh, Lorraine Newman's a big uh influence on me too. She's actually my neighbor and we've become very nice. close and uh <laughs> She came and saw me do an improv show at the festival when she was there doing something else and then thought I was really great and then, you know, kind of started talking and now, like, you know, she's one of my best friends in a sense. And it's great that, you know, she's an icon. You know, SNL is huge for me growing up. Um, I definitely, you know, had all the VHS tapes of the best ofs and watched them all whenever they were on and back when there was water cooler talk, we'd always talk about the episodes, you know, Monday after the things and – um yeah, so she's been huge for me too. That's really cool. Are there any other people whose brains you picked you, that you would contribute probably a lot of your collaborations to? I mean, obviously, Janet and I have been working together forever. 
um, she was in my sketch group and then obviously we founded the festival from there. So, um, you know, she was a big collaborator for me early on. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's always been people that, you know, we finally got Carol Burnett to the festival. That was huge. I yeah. love her. I mean, she's amazing. Um, I think I, 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 the thing that was fun for me with uh, the podcast and with a lot of you know, the shows I produced too is like, you know, being a kid of the 80s and being like raised on HBO and all those TV shows and stuff is like been able to get these reunions and stuff for shows and movies that like I just absolutely loved. Like we did a Better Off Dead live read at the festival um, like five or six years ago where, you know, I we had done a couple screenings of the movie because I sort of know Savage Steve Holland and Savage had like, we had this idea of like, maybe we could do a library and he's like, Oh, I have the shooting script, which is like very different from what we actually ended up shooting. Um, and I was like, great. Well, if you still have that, which he did, um, we just did a live read with a bunch of the original cast and then, um, understudies for those who couldn't make it. So like John Cusack famously just has disowned that movie for God knows why. So we had John Heater do his part. Um, <laughs> but we had a bunch of the originals. We had, you know, Kim Darby and Curtis Armstrong and Mendoes and um, uh, Monique, why is her name? Diane Franklin. Um, and then the rest we just filled with like Paul F. Tompkins, Steve Agee, um, myself, uh, things like that. So um, things like that to me are like super great because I just, I love those movies. I watched them a billion times. And whenever we're able to, kind of reunite the cast and crew in some capacity and stuff. And then half the time I have them on my podcast back in the day too, is always a thrill. This all writes itself. <laughs> yep. Are there any uh, comedy styles or acting styles that you would like to do in the future that you haven't necessarily done yet or had a chance to? Oh gosh. I mean, I, you know, obviously I do a lot of comedic work, uh, only a little bit of dramatic work. So I'd be happy to do more of that. You know, I did, come up as an actor doing a lot of theater and stuff too. And um, obviously I lean into comedy cause that's where my main talent is, but I'm a decent dramatic actor as well. So occasionally I get cast in those parts and those are fun to do. Ryan Murphy, man, you keep recasting this dude. Can you let him have his own show? <laughs> I know. Right. I keep showing I'm in that universe. Um, cause like, and I, I was even, I was cut out of nine one one cause they had cut the, this little side thing because the tone was off because they had just come off of like this very dramatic moment. And then it was a bunch of uh, the the crew talking about like the craziest like things they've they've done f for bullets and things. And I don't know. It was like oh, a goofy, goofy thing. And so like I'm a doctor in that where like we're having to uh, extract a gun from somebody's uh, backside. Um, so, uh, but it was really silly and fun, but that, you know, they cut that whole segment just because I've had pals like, do that too. They want to be on a show like in CIS or something. I'm like, you're not going to be seen. You might vaguely be seen for like less than five seconds in the background, but you're not going to be seen guys. It's just not that kind of show like, <laughs> like Star Trek or wherever, where you can just be an alien in the background. You know, it's not, that. It's, it's the, the practice is all changed up significantly in recent years. They, they shoot quack quick. <laughs> Yeah, they really do. Um, God, I can't imagine like going through all the creature prosthetics to be an alien and then just walking in the background. That would make me crazy. Yeah, uh, that's that's a fair point, too. I would see people get all excited about that. It's like, you do realize there's going to be like three hours where you're not doing anything and you're getting dressed up. So you, you better really want to do this before you say yes to that instead of, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, because you know, I'm moderately claustrophobic in that like, the idea of having you know going through three hours of makeup 
to put it on and take it off and having it cover up stuff like I said, that just makes freaks me out um not to say I wouldn't do it if the right part rolled around. Yes, guys, don't take this. He's not decasting himself. He's just saying, just saying. A, critique. It's a little scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 been fun being able to get back into acting because I had a bit of a pause where like I just was just mostly focusing on comedy and the festival and stuff, and I didn't really need to act anymore. I was making my living doing the other stuff. So even though I was technically still doing it, I really wasn't putting any time or energy into it. And then a couple of years back, I was just like, I just maybe start doing this better and more. And then I started kind of getting cast and stuff again and um, been doing a couple series every year, a little bit bit parts here and there so it's been fun very sweet are there any other comedians who you have yet to work with that you've still been trying to option some projects with uh, i mean i'm basically albert brooks is my hero we've not managed to get him to the festival um mostly because he's just not interested in looking back so like the idea of him just being in conversation talking about his career makes him uncomfortable and stuff so it's just hard to like get him excited about doing something so we've you know we've had our talks with his manager herb and him and a little bit and stuff and i think one day we'll get him to come and do something we just haven't found that thing yet um so he's kind of the one that's like i'm chomping at the bit to get to the festival um but that I think it's just needs some rewording because he's just so close to it <laughs> Yeah, I just don't know what it's going to be. We thought maybe if there's something else for a close friend that we were doing, that maybe he'd come and participate in something like that. Comedy for not, charity. Right, <laughs> or he's not the focus or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. Um, and obviously I'd love to do something Ted Lasso related at the festival because that show uh, like really was a beacon of positivity during a very dark time with the pandemic. Um I've never seen a show like this take off this large and it, it did it. Everyone acted like it was successful overnight. It's like, it took everyone a while to soak it in and realize, Hey, well, this is, this is a typical kind of comedy show. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first season is close to perfection. Um, the second, you know, has its issues, but I still enjoyed it. But the first season was just, you know, I watched it very quickly. And then I think there were five episodes in when I started watching. So like we like kind of watched the first half of the season quickly. And then it was weekly still as they were being released. Um, initially, and then uh, and I watched. I went home and was hanging out with my parents, and I said, "You guys should check out the show." And they watched the first episode, and they're like, "Let's watch another one." And then we just basically over two days watched all of it. Isn't it um, wild how it's like almost contagious? You just see people's just faces just slowly light up, and they're it's just they're looking for all the various Easter eggs and everything. There's a few jokes that are going to go over their head, and you'll have to rewind and tell them that's what that means. Now it's even funnier <laughs> now that you know what that means. I mean, my favorite throwaway joke in that first season that just busts me up and like nobody laughs at very often is when he's talking to Jamie Tart outside and Jamie goes, cheers. And then he goes, night court back to him. Like, <laughs> yes. Just kills me. It's such a throwaway joke. But and I think sometimes people don't understand it because, you know, Jamie's just very casually tossing off, you know, cheers, you know, like just not really chewing on that. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. It's such a good, stupid joke. Uh, just <laughs> Did you have to me. explain the Jack Torrance line? <laughs> I had some pals who work really hard with people. They're thinking it's funny. I'm like, no, 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 no. See the, the reference in Nicholson in the shining. <laughs> oh, 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 with an axe. <laughs> it's so it's such a good show, and like this, the positivity is such a wonderful thing. Because so many series and stuff are very negative, and just a mm -hmm. lot of. 
I don't know, things about tearing people down versus building them up. And that's is a show where like we could really use more things like this that build people up instead of tearing them down because you know the internet's like deadwood. There's no sheriff, so it's just terrible. No. It's just constant <laughs> people like you know berating each other and tearing each other down, or you know, it's well, just a bunch just of like, people with pitchforks. You know, at this point, <laughs> totally. But I mean, just like you named one of your groups, you know, after people making, you know, phobia slurs, uh, do, you, do you think, you know, you can actually gain a lot just from this toxicity and just know how to just diffuse it? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it's just, it's hard, like, it's doom scrolling. So it's just, there's just so much, like, it's just heavy. It's just hard to, like, you know, keep a positive attitude and stay happy when there's so much craziness happening in the world constantly and um i don't know i I just feel like something like ted lasso is so welcome in that like it gave people a chance to kind of exhale and like be like you know what there are kind people in the world and we could all benefit more if everybody was kind to each other instead of just trying to tear each other down in order to build yourself up like that just doesn't make sense to me whatsoever (laughs) there's a lack of constructiveness oh yeah fully and like I think it's kind of the worst thing in the world is like I mean, everybody's always had an opinion, but now there's so many places to put your opinion out there that it's just like, oh my God, because it's generally not a constructive thing. It's like, I hate this thing and I hate you because of this versus like, this thing is wonderful. You're yeah, wrong to me too. Right. by it's being just, in this movie, even though I don't even know you personally and you weren't even a big part of this whole show. <laughs> right. Or like I often say, like, no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Yes. So, like, it's just constant. Like uh, Halloween's a close second behind everyone. Right. <laughs> you want to go through a whole barrage of comments and Amazon Prime seems to be taking their sweet time, like seeding out on helpful comments. You're going to get a bunch of all right people calling everyone snowflakes, as well as people who worked on it, uh, upping the vote to where it takes literally almost an hour to just decipher through and see if you even want to spend time watching this movie. That has just all this just indecipherable ratings. This is like, guys, it used to be just, you know, There'd be five dishonest reviews, and then eventually you get through 10, 20 reviews that actually give you an idea if you want to spend five bucks watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's this, this whole thing of expectations and entitlement that just makes me crazy. It's like, yeah, that thing, what you didn't enjoy this, or it wasn't tailored to exactly what you wanted it to be. So, but you, tough shit. Like, you don't have to watch it or just watch it and move on. But, like, the people that spend so much time just tearing down and saying negative, 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 like, unless the thing is, like, super offensive, <laughs> like, yeah. there's really, like, no reason to, like, you can't please everybody. Like, if you do something, then they go, oh, fan service. But then if you don't, it's like, it's not what I thought it would be. This is terrible. Like, I don't know. It just makes me crazy. Like, I have enjoyed, you know, Boba Fett and Mandalorian and all that stuff and the Marvel mm-hmm. series and stuff like that, too. But I also look at them as, like, this is, like, an episode, another episode of something in a universe that you like. You're not going to like them all. You may not like this series. You may not like these episodes. So, oh, fine. But, like, don't act like your human rights have been violated. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know. They were wrong to take away the character limit, too. It used to be harder to post reviews. Like, okay. (laughs) But tell us a coherent two paragraphs before you post that. (laughs) Now it's just like, I see five second ones. Oh, this was made by a bunch of snowflakes. Too politically correct. (laughs) 
Oh, I mean, like, you'll any episode of any show that has anything that deals with progressive or like well, progressive things, yeah. it will just be like one star, Hollywood, blah blah, and you're just like, oh my it god! It made me think. How dare you, sir? This like, there's an episode recently, a Resident Alien, that was like about the women in the cast, and, and yes, people like if you go and you look at IMDb, it's like the lowest rated one, and there's like a, just a bunch of toxic comments and it's come on people <laughs> all the stupid people are breeding <laughs> yeah it's infectious well just to bring it around here for uh, another positive strike um uh, are there any movies uh that you're actually kind of anticipating that you just think are just going to take the world by storm and actually kind of do more of this just reinforcing just positivity oh gosh hmm <laughs> I don't even know. I can't even think of like what's coming out. They're keeping um, a little more secretive. It's like they're keeping some of them in the can for a while until the timing's right, and others like coming out. But you don't know exactly when. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely like this release schedule is all screwy because they can't decide like what should go in theaters, what should go in streaming, what should go on both. Um, so that's a that's a thing. I mean, it was definitely hard to find top quality entertainment initially when mm-hmm. you know, the stuff was happening during the pandemic because they were basically unloading a lot of stuff that was sitting on shelves that they didn't have expectations for that were of course kind of terrible um you think netflix and comedy central might open their doors a bit because they're desperate for content still i don't know i feel like there's a lot of there's there's way too much content like i've always said that it's just mm-hmm. like i miss the days of not having choices because like <laughs> you know having a handful of networks and cable stations it meant the shows really were like water cooler things you know everybody talked about lost when it was on weekly and stuff now it's pretty much you go to a party or you're hanging out with friends you're like do you watch this no do you watch that no do you watch this no and then you maybe are like i don't want to see it though right like i've heard of it yeah <laughs> You're lucky if you latch on to something that you both watch and get excited about. Or, like you say, they go back to the negativity. Oh, so good until that one awful season. Fuck you. I love it all. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, again, it's just they can't get past it. It's like, okay, no, 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 no. Stop. (laughs) Let's let's just have fun. (laughs) I mean, my dad said it to me when I was a kid that I've kind of taken it to heart of like, like when Star Trek movies are coming out, he's always like, look, I always like them. I love the universe. I love the characters. Some are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. I just look at it as another episode of something I like, and there'll be another episode after it. Like it's, it's just, they're not all going to be great in your opinion, you know, or maybe one thing that works for somebody doesn't work for somebody else, but it's just appreciate it that they're making it. Like that's the thing that makes me crazy about, when people get like so upset about these new series and how it's tainting the legacy and blah blah blah, it's not. Those movies are still out there. <laughs> it doesn't take away from the original things that you love so much. They still exist. So either you can enjoy these new versions or just don't watch them. But there's nothing wrong with them trying to keep the universe going. It does not like dilute the initial series and things like that too. And I get it if they do something that's like you feel is like doesn't work in the canon or like takes mm-hmm. a character a beloved character someplace that you, you don't love like i understand that that's frustrating and that's depressing and stuff like that too but you know people take it they have such high expectations that it's just insanity now like you they can't, even forget the history how all of yeah. them always had a rough start find you know battling network executives and trying to find their tone and again you know and 
like, like you say, I mean, uh, it, it's it's all a matter of which era you were in versus, you know, nowadays with Breaking Bad, where it's like you see a show, but not all the episodes make sense until the last moment, and then you have to go back and make sense of it all. And so, like you say, is like everyone's trying to predict what they want to anticipate, and it's like you can't anticipate it. You don't know until you actually see it. So. <laughs> Yeah. And heaven forbid, if something takes some time to get there, like, <laughs> um, if things are like methodically paced, people just like bail on them immediately half the time and like post a negative review. And it's like, you watch the first 20 minutes of the first episode. <laughs> right. The pilot is never going to be the same because that's the pitch to get it on the air to begin with. <laughs> pilots aren't great. Like in general, pilots are just meant to like put the pieces in play. Found out the hard way. The director wasn't working. The script needed a little more reworking. <laughs> and it takes time for shows to figure out what they are. And so, <laughs> you know, if you look at early seasons of anything, like usually the first couple episodes are kind of painful. And then they get great <laughs> as they figure out the relationships and what the tone is and where the show goes. It's just hard to initially have that out of the box. Do you think there's going to be more fan-created content uh, just building on the Star Trek point? <laughs> I mean, there always will be. Um, or web series. And... Right. The, the question is, like, will you get any fans that have actual, like, Hollywood clout to then be in charge of things? Like, you know, I know, like, Ryan Johnson gets under fire for his, you know, Last Jedi movie or whatever it was. But he, he was a Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan. So I'm sure, like, it was upsetting to him because he came out of a place of love for the series and things and not just a director for hire. But um, happens with the indie guys is like everyone's like, why are their movies so different? You know, you do this acclaimed indie. Now you do this big budget movie is like, well, it's a different set. <laughs> he was playing by his rules. Now he's playing by the studio rules. And it's like, like you say, everyone has to be made a victim or be put prosecuted by fans. And this is like, just go back to your oyster. You can politely agree or disagree from afar. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's hard if you're given the reins of a beloved franchise is it's going to be near impossible to make something that is going to please enough people that mm -hmm. you're not going to get, you know, like trashed by it. But also you just got to let that roll off in a sense too. Um, I've always said that it would be kind of fun to have auteur directors take, you know, a shot at a uh, movie or something. Like a Quentin Tarantino doing a James Bond movie would be rad. But, totally. you know, but that universe is so like has its playbook so to speak and you can't go off of it like there was he was, like to play by rules <laughs> right i mean i think it was like living daylights which is actually one of my favorite bond movies that's totally Tim dalton um but i think there was there's a scene where like he goes down the sledding on a, a case um uh, for a musical instrument cello case but i think at some point either that movie or one of the ones after it or whatever they they had initially written like him snowboarding for a thing like not you know for recreation but like an action sequence um and like the broccolis who like own the thing and have since like you know the beginning are like no no james bond. <laughs> james, james bond does not snowboard he skis how you dare know. you sir how dare it's, you? like it's that kind of thing it's just like <laughs> yeah. it's so guarded and you know, people were super upset about Daniel Craig getting the part because he was blonde. And then, of course, he ended up being, like, one of the best Bonds. So You can break through the prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just that people just, you know, are so quick to judge things before they've even seen it, which is, you know, pretty frustrating. But I don't know. You've been just... tempted to kind of do something kind of similar to that that's just kind of experimental in your comedy world, like a 
48 hour contest or something kind of the equivalent of ice bucket where just I do a video and you try and do a reaction. That we haven't, but that's interesting. It can be fun. That's yeah, because you guys are always just raising the bar, I think, because you're just because uh, uh, I did a bit of improv back in college and it was just very fascinating to actually just see the professionals do it. And again, you would have other uh, guests there who everyone kind of forgets kind of had a comedy background, but you just no one was really accustomed to seeing them in that, you know, like you got forget Brewster. There's another one who is everyone forgets. She has a comedy background, but everyone's used to seeing her in all these other dramatic roles. So it's right. just, it's just funny how you have to kind of remind people is like, do I have to just show you my resume? <laughs> well, that's what's like, I always think about like Die Hard and Bruce Willis because yeah. when he got that part, everybody was like, what? Bruce Willis can't do action movies. He's a comedian because he was doing moonlighting, you know, like he's just like a wisecracking comic. How could he possibly? Michael Keaton as Batman, the nerve. Right. <laughs> and then like Die Hard became the blueprint for most action movies thereafter. And now it's like, I remember like a decade later, people are like, oh, Bruce Willis could do this comedy. People are like, what? He's an action star. He can't do a comedy. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the reverse. The reverse of that. So... Yeah, that always cracks me up. It's like, I mean, he's even did action comedies, for goodness sakes. What, what are you talking about? Red and whole nine yards? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Now he keeps doing these straight-to-video things where he's second build, and he's probably in them for 10 minutes. I think he had like 10 things come out this last year. I oh, heard yeah. a rumor he has dementia, unfortunately. So. Oh, yeah. I think he just kind of... If you I still his... support all his bad action movies. <laughs> I love him. But if you'll meet his quote, so to speak, he'll do it. I think like Nick Cage is that way, too. And Chris Eric Walken Roberts. People like that. Yeah, like... <laughs> I love him on Righteous Gemstones. I don't know if you're watching that. That show. It's a great show. It's so good. <laughs> it's such a good show. Totally. Uh, you, you might have to pull something like that. You can get one of these other just has been B movie actors and just have them just show up. <laughs> Surprise guest. <laughs> I mean, that's what's always fun. I mean, like, I think Tarantino like really started that with Pulp Fiction when he kind of brought Travolta back into the limelight. And now still waiting on that reunion. Michael Madsen right. had a funny story where he was working with him on a straight to streaming movie, uh, Trading Paint, where they were playing race car drivers. <laughs> and uh, Travolta comes up to him doing the whole, hey, man, you talked to Quentin yet? Tell him I'd love to be in his next movie. And he's like, you're. you're you're freaking Travolta. You're an A-lister. I'm a P-lister. What are you talking about? I got no power. <laughs> oh. I, I do love saying those career swings happen, though, where somebody who used to be like super bankable then isn't for a long time, and then somebody rejuvenates. You know, you could almost say that for Michael Keaton. Like he's, you know, once Birdman kind of started, he got back into the limelight. And I love him. He's one that has almost come to the festival a few times. Like he wants to come. It's just never, he's always been shooting. So hopefully mm -hmm. we'll work that out one of these days. Cause he's, he's hilariously funny too. Like you can find his old standup online yeah. uh, and it's great. Like he's so creative. Did you see the Showtime docu-series, uh, the comedy store? I haven't watched that yet. I've heard it's great though. They did a good job of, and they even some other ones showing footage of, the likes of Robin Williams, Richard Belzer, Tim Thomerson, of all people, is, and just showing where their career trajectories did went. And like you say, it, it, it's a good job. Documentaries kind of seem to be the way to go, just kind of remind people is like, this is what you they were versus what they are now versus what they can do versus what they want to do. I mean, Robin, like that was such a huge loss. And like he especially with San Francisco, like he's synonymous with San Francisco. Like he 
was the guy that would pop up into shows and like he came to the very first SF Sketch Fest. He came the first year to watch Sweet. one of the teams and stuff. And I remember like my wife was working concessions and you know sold him a diet coke and he tipped five dollars um like just a sweet cool guy and he would come to shows he would pop in and do shows unannounced he did one or two shows where he actually build him but for the most part he would just like pop in and do spots and shows and people would freak out and he uh (laughs) and i used to like do improv down at Cobb's comedy club when it was in the cannery we would do like once a week we'd go out at the end of a showcase and it was you know short form games with the owner of the club and stuff but then for a while there robin would pop in and do a set after us we'd do like an hour in this tiny room um and so much so to the point where like he was coming in so often i had seen him like a dozen times where like i remember one time i was just like having you know, some beers with my team afterwards and we're sitting on the other side of a door having this drink and Robin's in the other room doing another set. And I'm like, when did I get to a point where like, I've seen him so much recently that I would rather sit here and have a beer right now with my friends, watch Robin on the other side of this thing. Um, but he was so kind and so nice and so encouraging of up and coming comics too. He would always take people aside when he saw them do have a good set and, you know, he prays upon them and, um, just like such a good, wonderful human being. I've heard uh, the, the same kind of stuff, just very inspirational guy and in the best possible way. And I have to remind people, it's like, hey, stop focusing on how we lost him so young. He doesn't want you to remember him that way. He wants you to remind you of how you can just keep breaking barriers, both comedically and dramatically. And <laughs> I'm glad you yes. got to meet him. Another one of those things where like, you know, a comedic actor becomes a good dramatic actor and and people are shocked, um, you know, like Jim Carrey did that and mm-hmm. uh, much others. So it's like, we got to remind people what everyone can do. <laughs> it's like the Olivier quote, dying is easy. Comedy is hard <laughs> for Olivier. <laughs> yeah. It's like just two different beasts. They're very nice. Very nice. It's been just such a delight just having you on here. So if you're not picking any other comedy, mastermind in the world like david e kelly or chuck Lorre, i guess yeah we'll, we'll expect some other surprises from you in the future i'm sure i'll keep doing stuff that's fun and definitely different that's what the festival aims to do is you know f- focus on obviously what's going on in comedy right then at what's coming next and finding interesting unique shows that aren't just aren't being done other places we always try to do that totally there's no shortage of movies there's no shortage of gags and scenarios sky's the limit very true very true well excellent but dynamite time talking to you awesome yeah thanks for having me man we'll return after these messages jurs podcast is proud to promote autocorrect an independent film company with experienced industry professionals who can serve all your film industry needs they include self-tapes voice actor recordings demo reel editing script revisions headshots, and much more. They're actor correct at your request. Book them on Instagram. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts... 
Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey, everybody. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Greetings, friends. My name is Dean Legero, and I'm the host of the 3324 Podcast. I invite you to join me and my lifelong friend Eric Kuber to come with us as we discuss the music and movies that shaped our life. Each week, we'll pick an album or film that we really connect to and not only give you some great info and trivia, but also discuss, debate, and celebrate what it means to us and the journey it took us on. We also look forward to hearing from you and giving us some of your picks for us to check out and discuss. I think it'll be a really fun experience, so come along with us for the ride. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, and at 3324.buzzsprout.com. Thanks for your time, and welcome to the 3324 family. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one-last plot holes and gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. We now continue with our program.
us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.